Awesome. Wow. I bet you can uh, tell that I personally picked out that music to go with that video, can't you? Yeah, that's like what, that's what we do every Sunday. We listen to music just like that over at North Boulevard, Church of Christ. <laughs> Man, I told Corey, I said, dude, you got, I'm like, y'all know I'm Church of Christ, don't you? I, told, I said, most of the people who are going to be here, like, they came to experience to get away from guys like me. What, what's wrong with you? Hauling me over here and making me stand in front of all these musical instruments and banging and all that. What an awesome treat to be with you. It is so cool to be here at the Experience Church. My favorite church other than my own church, and uh, not just in Murfreesboro, I think anywhere in the world. I love the experience. I love what you're doing. I believe in you. I bless you. It's awesome to be a partner in the kingdom of God with you. And so it's a real privilege to be here with you. Actually, it's a pretty good crowd too. Last night was a nice crowd, but like you guys are really, you're filling the place up. And next week, what do you do? You go over here to a new building? Is that right? Have y'all checked it out yet? Like it's twice the size of this. And here's what I'm going to tell my church. Watch this. I'm going to tell my church that, um, that I preached here this Sunday, and it went so well that the next week they had to double the auditorium space. <laughs> Boom. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And okay, so I have to do this again. I got to take my shoes off, and no kidding, because this carpet up here is going to make me trip. And uh, so, like, nobody cared last night that I did it. And I was thinking, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to trip. I'm going to land on a guitar, which is going to impale me. <laughs> and think about this. Me, a church Christ preacher, is going to enter eternity impaled by a guitar <laughs> during church service. Like, I'm not, I ain't ready for that. So, shoes are off. I really am glad to be with you. I came to, uh, I came to experience, I don't, I don't remember how long ago it was, but I visited you guys probably two years or three years ago, I don't remember when, and my daughter was coming here, and uh, she was like, man, you got to go, Daddy, you got to see what they're doing, and she says to me, um, she said, they go verse by verse through Scripture, which was to me, it's like the first thing I thought, okay, I, I know I'm going to like them, um, so I showed up, and not only did you guys, were, you know, just preaching straight out of the Word of God, by the way, I know both Corys do that, in the team program, they do it as well, and so you know what you don't have to do? You don't have to say over and over again, respect the Bible, you just respect it, like, you just do it. And I loved it. And the second thing I said to her, when, after I left, I said, okay, a lot of churches are really good at social justice, but they're not real good at holiness. And then there are churches that are really good at holiness, but they're not real good at social justice. What I perceived here was that here's a church that's combined them both in a powerful way, a winning way. So my hat's off to you. I love you. I love what you're doing. And uh, it's a friendly church, too. I got to tell you this. So my first visit here, I'm back here. Is it a little racy? Uh, we have... But it's not too bad. It's not bad. So if you have kids, you don't have to cover their ears. That might happen before it's over with. But if I, like, let something loose, you know, Corey does it all the time. So <laughs> I got to tell you that story, too. But so I'm, I'm back here at one of your bathrooms, and I'm in the stall. That's as bad as it gets. And I'm sitting there, you know, doing my thing. And all of a sudden, the guy next to me here at the experience says, uh, so how you doing in the stall next to me? <laughs> and I thought... Dude, you know, that's like, that's a really, that's a really crack visitation team. Get that? <laughs> that? I threw that in for free. And uh, so I said, you know, I'm doing all right. And he goes, um, he says, so what you up to? Yeah. And I was thinking, how do you answer that? And I said, well, I'm just visiting your church tonight. And then he goes, uh, he says, hey, honey, can I call you back? This idiot in the stall next to me keeps answering my questions. Anyway. Uh, hey, I do have to tell you this one because, like, this is a big crowd, and you just need to know this. My first visit, 
Like, okay, like your, your staff, here's what I know. We do like two services at North Boulevard on Sunday morning. We have a Bible class in between. So I go three times in a row. It's, actually, it's, it's a lot harder than you think it is, but I'm discovering this is even harder. Like last night, long night, and then this morning. So they may not even be in here. For all I know, they're out, you know, like smoking cigars or something on the rooftop. But if Corey's here, he'll give me permission to tell this story. You out there, Corey? Mr. Trimble, there you are. All right, so my first visit here, he's, going, he's like telling you guys to get the, you know, the trash off your iPods. And so I can't remember what word he says, but he's like, you know, you got, you got music on there from, I can't bring myself to say it, <laughs> from, you know, sluts. You don't, you don't need that on your iPod. He's saying this, and you can tell he's like preaching his heart out, and I think he might even use another word or two. And then right at the end of the service, Right at the end of the service, he's all red-faced, and he says, hey, guys, I, maybe I shouldn't have said what I said. And he goes, like, you know, maybe I shouldn't say the word slut, and, and I apologize. And somebody in the back yells out, hey, you also said the word whore. It, like, <laughs> that's, like, that's my introduction to the experienced church. No kidding. I'm not making that up. I'm not making that up. So here's what it says to me. It says, like, there's nothing I can't do today. Nothing. <laughs> Gloves are off. It is so cool to be with you. Acts chapter 2 is what I want to work out of. Acts chapter 2. So whatever you got that gets you there. Cause I don't, um, because, you know, when you, when you visit a church, you don't always know what their, their customs are and their traditions. So I didn't put it on the PowerPoint behind me, which means that you'll have to look at it on some device in front of you or your, or your printed Bible or whatever. So I'm going to work through Acts chapter 2, and here's what I want to do. Right now, I'm sort of... Um, okay, I have to be careful how I say this because uh, I, I never want to sound disrespectful to any other fellowship. Any other, any other churches. But I'm kind of coming from a, um, a uh, how, does, how do I want to say this? Most denominations and fellowships in America are in decline, including my churches of Christ. So you know that the Episcopal Church, um, I mean, they're closing diocese after diocese after diocese. They're going out of business. In 26 years, at the rate they're declining, the Episcopal Church won't be here. In 26 years. The Presbyterian Church USA lost 100,000 members last year. 100,000. They only got 2 million. I mean, it's not a lot. Um, the Churches of Christ in America, listen to this. Churches of Christ, we have maybe one point. It kind of depends on how you're counting. But let's say we have, I'll be generous. We have 1.5 million people in America in the Churches of Christ. We lose 200 members every single week and have for 10 years running in the Churches of Christ. Every week in America, Church of Christ goes out of business forever, every week in America, for 10 years running, that's been happening. And really, it's true for a lot of mainline Protestant denominations. The United Methodist Church has lost 8,000 congregations in the last 40 years. Okay, so I'm coming from that background. Now, I walk in here, and you guys are like, I'm fire, you're motivated, uh, you know, awesome stuff's happening. And so, kind of what I prepared, honestly, when I get up here, I feel a little bit like it's a mismatch, because like I'm, I'm speaking to a racehorse about how to stop being a mule. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this. Here's what's going to happen. I'm not a prophet. I, maybe, I may be wrong on this, but here's what, here's what often happens. As a church really flourishes and grows, you guys are booming, the weight of the church starts working against you. And suddenly all the stuff that you loved about it, like, it starts going away because now instead of having 500 people that you know and love and you're all out there doing this stuff together, you got 2,500 people. You don't know them anymore. You can't have a personal relationship with the staff like you used to have. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you a vision, a vision for all churches, any church, any church, um, any church that wants to be part of a revolution. 
And it's not just a vision for congregations. It's a vision for followers of Jesus. And I'll just tell you that now I'm 55, and uh, I've been in church work all my life, and I really have decided that my, I'm going out with as big a bang. I'm going to go out on fire. That's what I want to do. I want to go out on fire. I really have decided I'm pushing all my poker chips in the middle of the table. I mean, I've walked up to the edge. I'm going to jump. That's what I'm going to do. Because I, I don't want to be a mere church member or just a good person. I don't want to belong to a church that's okay just being a church. I really don't. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not against it. Well, yeah, I am, really. I'm against it. I just say it. I'm against it. But I'm not trying to diss anybody. I'm just like, dog, is this it? I mean, this is what it's all boiled down to. In the United States of America, 3,500 churches will go out of business this year. And I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with it, especially when I know it dishonors the name of a holy God. It dishonors His name. So what I have spent the last couple of years in my life doing is just trying to think through what would it look like if we turned this thing uh, we call church membership or being church or whatever, what would it look like if we turned it into a revolution? Seriously. If we all just said, all right, let's just, let's burn it up. Let's just see what happens if we light both ends, set it on fire and blow it, blow the whole thing up. Let's see what happens. And that's, that's kind of where I'm coming from. And when I start thinking like that, I go back to Acts chapter 2, which, by the way, is like a favorite text for a lot of fellowships, uh, and uh, it's, it's a favorite text for me too. I'm going to start here, because I, uh, actually I think there's something kind of um, inspiring behind the little story. So I'll, I'll give you a short version here. When, when uh, Israel rebelled against Rome in AD 67, finally the war ended in AD 73, so it's like a six-year war. The Romans wiped out the uh, Jews. Uh, I'm talking about the, the, the nation of Israel. There were Jews who survived, but the nation was wiped out. And when the Romans did it, they celebrated with the minting of this coin. So if you read Latin, you know it says Judea Capta, which means the capture, the capture of the Jews. And it features a Jewish guy sitting and crying underneath a date palm tree with a Roman soldier behind him celebrating. That's what's going on in that coin. So I want you to notice a palm tree for a moment. Because that palm tree was a variety of palm trees that went extinct after the destruction of Israel. It actually required certain tending in order to create this palm tree. So it's been extinct for 1,900 years until working around Masada, just about 15 years ago, archaeologists discovered a jar that had been buried in the hot sands of Masada, which is uh, sort of east of Jerusalem, southeast of Jerusalem. And in the jar were three date palm seeds from the first century, preserved. So what do they do? They bathed them in chemicals and whatnot, and they planted them, and one of them has actually come up. It's about 10 feet tall today. It's a male tree, which means that it's going to have to be mated with a, a, a modern species of female, but eventually we're going to be eating date palms. You're going to be able to buy date palm trees, uh, date, dates, I'm trying to say dates, from uh, a tree that was planted from the first century. So I think about that story, and here's what I think to myself. What would happen if, in your heart, the, the hearts of Christ followers today, if we planted the Acts 2 church seed? What would happen? Because I think an explosion would happen in the 21st century. And a lot of the flat, uh, flat-lined, declining, and dying churches in America, if we just said, let's just go all the way back to the beginning, because the Acts 2 church is in so many ways like the shock and awe church of the Bible. I mean, it's an amazing church. Just Acts chapter 2, which is what I want us to look at in a moment. When you read Acts chapter 2, especially verses 42 through 47, we'll get there. We might be in a hurry by the time we do. But when you get there, you read things like this. 
They were filled with signs, wonders, and powers. And Like, don't you want to go to a church like that? Seriously, I mean, I, like, I, again, I don't want to diss anybody, but think about this. Is the Acts 2 church reduced now to just showing up, poorly singing a few songs, eating a cracker, and then going home? Like, is that it? That's what, that's, after 2,000 years, that's the best we got to offer? Like, I want to go to a church where they have signs, wonders, and powers. I want to be a Christian who believes in signs, wonders, and powers and experiences them. The Acts 2 church, people were so on fire in the Acts 2 church that even though they weren't commanded to do this, they sold everything they had, and they brought it in and gave it to the apostles, put it at the feet of the apostles. It's like the elders. I mean, can you imagine what would have to have happened in your heart before you just sold everything you had, walked in and said to the elders of this church, here, I'm now at your service. I'm at your disposal. It's not so extraordinary. It's happening in places around the world today. There are churches around the world today that are so like the Acts 2 church, they're literally doing this. So I, I, I don't want to like tell, if I tell too many stories, I'll never get to the text, and then you then like Corey will really look good compared to me because he always gets straight to the text. Um, but let me tell you this. So Edit Udafia is um, a Nigerian missionary, works in the inner city of Murfreesboro. He's uh, one of our guys at North Boulevard. Eddie Udafia, about like, I don't know, 20 years or so ago, I don't remember when it was. He, he was, he was on our staff. He gets a phone call from his elders in his church in Nigeria. Now, I'm not making this up. They said to Eddie, he was in medical school, and he was also working in the inner city for our church. They called him up, and they said, hey, we found your wife. If you'll come back to Nigeria, uh, you can marry her, and you can take him back to the States. Eddie's like, okay. Gets on a plane. He goes. He meets Alice. He's never even heard of her. Never met her. The elders of his church made the arrangement, got him married, and sent him back to America. I just, first of all, two things about that story. First, like, I, you know, I've known a lot of elders. I'm not sure I would do that with a lot of the elders I know. But the second thing I'd say is just, like, think about how amazing it is that you got people who are willing to place their hands, their, I mean, their destiny in the hands of an Acts 2 type church to just say, here I am. I've got everything I have is yours. Let's do something awesome. Let's do something awesome. Because I'm the guy that believes that there is the circle of comfort and there is the circle of awesomeness, and the two do not overlap. There's no overlap between comfort and awesomeness. So you can have comfort if you want to, but don't expect awesome. You can have awesomeness if you want to, but you won't get comfortable. If you want awesomeness, you got to decide, I'm okay not being comfortable. It's going to be a lot of changes. It's going to be a lot of upheaval. It's going to be stuff I can't explain, stuff I don't like. But you know what? This thing belongs to God. It's the kingdom of God. I've turned it over to God. Let's do something awesome. And that's what the Acts 2 church is. So you read all about it, which we'll do in a minute, I think. But think about what the Acts 2 church did. I just, let me, just real quickly. So the Acts 2 church starts with 120 members in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. They got 120 members. By the way, that's about the average size church in the American South, 120 members. Within 300 years, the Acts 2 church has 34 million members. More than half the empire is a member of this church. And they did it against every conceivable odd. Remember, when they did it, they didn't have a New Testament. Like, they weren't all gathering at a coffee shop studying the New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. When they did it, they didn't have a church building. The first church building we know of that was built wasn't built to the third century. They did it without church buildings. They didn't have seminaries. Nobody had a degree in New Testament. 
They didn't have Christian schools. They didn't have Christian books. They didn't have Christian bookstores, no Christian cafes. They didn't have retirement centers, none of that. In fact, they were an illegal religion. Here's an illegal religion. It's against the law to be a Christian. While it's against the law with no buildings, you're thrown out of the restaurants, you're thrown out of the temples, you're thrown out of everything in face of those odds. They win half the world because they had something that we want. There was something in that germ, something in that seed that when you planted it, it sprang up in this Holy Spirit way that was so awesome, it conquered the world. That's what I want. I expect it's what you want. Uh, at least whenever you, you're, whenever you get there. I mean, sometimes you have to get there, but whenever you get there, I expect that's what you want. So I want to read from Acts, and I want us to see what these guys had. Start in verse 1. Acts chapter 2. Yeah, I've got to watch my time. You know, it's going to take like 20 minutes just to read this. So, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came. I, I'm, can I make comments while I go because I just need to? First, do you notice a train goes by exactly while we have the sound of a blowing violent wind? <laughs> now, that's just something I bring with me everywhere I go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. You know, when you take your shoes off, no kidding, and you're standing in front of guitars, it just happens. This stuff comes out. It rolls down like circus monkeys. Uh, okay, suddenly a sound like a blow. Here's, the, here's what I want you to note, though, for just a moment. In this text, you're going to read all this incredible stuff. You're going to read about fire and billows of smoke and blood and the moon turning into blood and violent winds and so forth. Uh, all of this is just Luke's way of saying there was something amazing going on in this church. So seriously, I'm not even trying to be funny here, but if your church doesn't have blood, billows of smoke, fire, if the moon hasn't turned red and so forth, well, you're just not asking for it because I think it's still available to us. No kidding. It's still available to us, guys. We could, I mean, God didn't go away. God didn't retire after this and go back to Florida or whatever. God's still God, and He still wants us to have this church. This is the church that changed the world. We can still have it. You can still have it in your heart, even if your church doesn't, which I think yours does. But even if your church didn't have it, it can still be in your heart. This is who I'm going to be. You could push all your poker chips in the middle of the table. You can walk right up to the edge, and you can jump. You can do it. And I mean, thank God you got a church that's going to welcome you when you do that. Seriously, you got a church here that's going to say, all right, you, can you get too radical for this church? You can go as far as you want to go. And Acts 2 church, that's what they did. I mean, again, violent winds, flames, tongues, blood, billows of smoke. You're about to see it. Like, what? We're billows of smoke? But in fact, when you get to chapter 5, we're never going to get through this, but when you get to chapter 5, ch chapter 5, verse 13, listen to what it says. Chapter 5 and verse 13, Luke says that nobody dared hang around this church. Let that sink in for a minute. Nobody dared go to that church. By the way, that's not like a seeker-friendly church, is it? Everybody's scared to go there. What, what must have been happening in a church where everybody's scared to go there? Like even the members are scared to show up. Like you don't even know what they're going to do next. What are they doing out of that crazy church down there? The thing is, they were so extreme, they were so serious about what they were doing that like you had to make a pretty serious decision. Either I'm in it or I'm against it. You couldn't be on the fence with this church. 
Either you're all in or you had to oppose it. Either you were in it or you were persecuting it. Seriously, what we need are churches that are that extreme that our community does not know what to do with us. Now, I don't mean you're stupid. I don't mean we're so stupid they don't know what to do with us. By the way, every time I say that, some parent comes up and says, I teach my kid not to say that word. And there you are saying stupid right in front of my kid. So, but still, don't be stupid. But we ought to be people who have such a crazy commo- uh, devotion to Jesus and a crazy love for the world that the world does not know what to do with us. And if the church is perfectly comfortable with what you're doing, especially in a world that's becoming increasingly post-Christian, you just may not be doing that much. At least that's my opinion. All right, keep going. Uh, verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Here we go. We're getting a list of the people. It's like, it depends on how you divide it. There's 15 or 16 different nations listed here, or pe- ethnicities. We'll, we'll use that term. So when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, which ought to be a characteristic of our churches. The people are bewildered, seriously, by how crazy it is when people give it up for following Jesus. Because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Okay, so you have to ask yourself the question, why does Luke care to list all these nations? Let's say there's 16. So on Rome, you have it divided in two. So we'll, 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 we'll keep the division. Let's say there's 16 nations. Why does Luke bother to tell you there were Cretans standing there? I mean, who cares? Isn't that the part of the text that honestly you checked out and you thought when he's done with that, I'll, I'll tune back in? I'll tell you why. Because in chapter one and verse eight, listen to this, just one chapter preceding this, here's what you read. Jesus' last words in the book of Acts, his last words before going back to heaven were these. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit, or power when the Holy Spirit, that is, comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what's happening in chapter 2 is Luke is showing you that the apostles were witnesses to the ends of the earth. He lists all the nations of the earth standing there. So what's the point? The point is this. When we have decided that we want to be an Acts 2 church, we will become witnesses to the ends of the earth of Jesus Christ. Now, you know that. We all get that. Everybody's like, nod your head, and you say to yourself, yeah, okay, I got that point. Let's find something, you know, a little sexier. That's, that's, that's given. Everybody knows that. But it's not given, not anymore. It's really not. I mean, so many of our churches have just lost sight of what it means to, uh, to make disciples of all nations. There's a lot of churches don't care. You take this example. So in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, again, I don't want to be disrespectful. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just trying to speak some truth. Um, most of the churches in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, do not have a vision for world evangelism. They just don't. I'm not picking on them, but they don't. You know that. I know it too. You think about how many churches in Murfreesboro haven't even thought about making disciples of all nations. The last words of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Matthew, his last words are these, go make disciples of all nations. 
Now, if those are his last words, it must be our first priority. You think about when you pick your last words. So if you pick your last words, don't you think that when you pick your last words, they matter? I mean, if you got to pick your last words, I, I know what my last words would be. My last would be something like, yeah, hey, tell, my, tell Rachel and Jonathan and Julie, I love them. You know, I love you guys. Or if they're standing there, I mean, it's going to mean something, isn't it? Your last words. So Jesus' last words, his final command, go make disciples of all nations. And I just want to say this, this is our mission, making disciples of all nations. Now, it's not why we were created. We were created to the praise of God's glory. Ephesians 1 teaches that like three times. It's also not the greatest command. The greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So there are a lot of things we're taught to do. But it is our mission because here's the deal. A mission is a specific task given to you by someone with authority. That's what a mission is. If I say to you, hey, I need you to run to the store and get a gallon of milk. I've given you a mission. It's like, I don't want you to go down and, you know, go to a dance party or something. Instead, I gave you a mission. The mission is go get some milk. It's real specific. Jesus gives us a mission, go make disciples of all nations. And it's surprising how many churches have lost sight of the singular mission of the church. Here's the deal. If you're making disciples of all nations, it doesn't matter if you fail at everything else, you still won. And if you do everything well, but you do not make disciples, you lost, because that's your singular mission. So what I just want to do is challenge all of us, not just as congregations, but as individuals. Ask yourself the question, am I part of a disciple-making mission? And if you're not, just start doing it. You really can. You can just start doing it. Like at North Boulevard, so one of the things Corey asked me to do, he said, hey, just talk a little bit about what North Boulevard's doing. That's like, it's just so, that's not fun to do that. I'd rather preach than give a report, but I'll throw in this. The last few years, we have just said, okay, making disciples, is that's who we are. And like, it's, it's really, we're turning a huge ship because that's not our tradition. Our tradition, for a lot of churches, churches of Christ, my, here's my read. I might be wrong on this. I don't mean this disrespectful, but for a lot of churches of Christ, our mission has been to preserve our heritage. And so if that's your mission, you know, by the way, that's the same mission that museum curators have, <laughs> to preserve our heritage. Like, Right? Like, who wants that for a mission? I mean, I, hey, I love antiquities and histories. I'm all about that and all. But that's not my mission, to preserve our heritage. Who cares? I want to use our heritage, not preserve it. Like, I want to spend my church, not save it. Let's spend it up. We say to our church, plant a church in your pew. If you can't plant a church in your pew, go plant a church somewhere else. By the way, we, like, we've planted like four or five churches in the last couple of years, and we just keep saying to everybody, go, go, go take your money, go do it. If we spend the whole church, if we don't exist in 10 years, and it's because people went out to make disciples, it'll be the best thing that ever happened to North Boulevard. If I'm unemployed, Corey? <laughs> <laughs> No kidding. Why not? Let, let, let's just let's set it on fire. Let, God calls us to a revolution. Make disciples. If you're not making disciples, all you got to do, you know what you got to know to make a disciple? You, what does a second grader need in order to be made into a third grader? They just need another third grader. I mean, that's all you need. That didn't come out very well. Here's how I want to put it. You may be thinking to yourself, well, I don't know how to make a disciple. That's, you know, that's the staff's job or whatever, elder's job. I don't know what you say, your shepherd's job, whatever have you worded around here. You're in a band's job or whatever. 
No, it's not. It's your job because here's what Jesus says. Go make disciples and tell everybody to do what I just told you to do. What did he just tell you to do? Make disciples. My son learned to read when he was like four years old. He's a pretty sharp kid. You know who taught him how to read? His sister, who was in the first grade. You know why? Because she was so excited that she could read. She had all day long to do nothing but sit there and tell him how to read. He learned from a first grader. Hey, your best disciple makers usually are your newest Christians. You know why? Because they're on fire for the Lord. And then we sit in pews, we sit in seats for year in and year out, and we lose all that fervor, and it just becomes about preserving a heritage. Museum curators. I'm just saying, the Acts 2 church, what they believed in was we're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, and they did. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> five points to go, something like that. Hey, if, that, if that's all we get out, then that was pretty, that's pretty, that's good, because you need to do that. Let's pick up a verse, uh, whatever, next, 13. <laughs> Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So here's the deal, they're all, they're there, and there's, we don't know if they're tongue speaking like in the charismatic Pentecostal sense, or if they're actually speaking other languages. They're being heard in other languages. So I'm not real sure where the miracle's happening, and I just know a miracle's happening. And it's so, it's so odd that everybody starts saying, what's, you know, what's going on? These guys must be drunk, which, by the way, is not a good... If someone comes in and starts speaking to you in Chinese, and they've never studied Chinese before, saying they might be drunk shows that you haven't really thought that through, because, like, if you can speak Chinese, haven't never studied it before, it doesn't mean you're not smart, right? It doesn't mean you're drunk. But that's what they say. These guys must be drunk, they said. Um... Peter stood up, verse 14, with the 11, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) Are you laughing at that? (laughs) I know why. Uh, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show, listen to this. Here we are with this this shock and all stuff. I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The second thing I want to say about about this shock and all church, the reason they did, the reason they were able to do what they did was this. They lived baptized in the Holy Spirit. You didn't see that coming from a church Christ preacher, did you? Because here's the deal, guys. A hundred years of evangelical denial of the Holy Spirit has not served us very well. It just hasn't served us very well. This church was a Holy Spirit church. And if you want to be the church of Christ, I mean the church that Christ built, you will be a Holy Spirit-filled church because that's what His church is. His church is a Holy Spirit church. It's a church that understands the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a church that produces the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's a church that walks in step with the Holy Spirit. It's a church that's clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a church that prays in the Holy Spirit. You want to be an Acts 2 church? You want to be a church of Christ? You want to be Christ's church wherever you are? Then here's what you got to do. You got to live in the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, that's the great gift God gives us. What, and look what he says when he's quoting from Joel. He says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. This prophecy is about you. I mean, he's looking down the road at Murfreesboro, Tennessee, right here in the brewery, and he's saying, the day's going to come. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on whom, by the way? Who's he saying? He makes sure you get it. I'm going to make sure old men get the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you old guys, you're going to get the Holy Spirit. And young men are going to get it too. Even servants are going to get it. He says, hey, I'm going to make sure men and women get it, both sides, which is a big deal in the first century. Because in the first century, the, the, there was a lot of misogyny, there was a lot of hatred of women, and it's a low view of women. And so for someone to come up and say, no, women are going to get the Holy Spirit too. Everybody's going to get it in my kingdom. So who are we to come along and say, well, I'm not real sure about that Holy Spirit stuff. I like, I like my church quiet. <laughs> well, it's not just this. But when the Holy Spirit comes, what happens? But there's blood, there's fire, there are billows of smoke. I mean, these amazing things start happening. Go, just go down a few verses, down to chapter, uh, same chapter, like verse 42, uh, 43. Everyone was filled with awe. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to be awe, awesomeness. That's why I keep saying it's a shock in all church. Wonders and miraculous signs are done by the apostles. I mean, to belong to this church was to see amazing things happen. So people's lives are always being changed. So what does this look like? Well, I'm going to run myself out of time, so I'll just say this. If nothing else, you do what the Bible twice commands you to do, and that is twice you are commanded to pray in the Holy Spirit. So if nothing else, do this. Do this. Say, Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us. We will take his signs, we'll take his wonders, and we'll take his awe. Because even though we don't have apostles today, God never stopped doing signs, wonders, and powers. He still does them. And if you're not experiencing them, it's just because you're not asking for them. So just start asking. Lord, just let it happen. We'll take whatever you send our way. I'm telling you, the greatest moments in Christian history occurred when people just said, Lord, just pour it out. I mean, whose house do you want to build anyway? What, do we, I, mean, I believe in marketing strategies. All like, uh, we do marketing at North Boulevard. You guys do marketing. We believe in like a message, a focused message and all that. You've got signs that all around here that you're trying to get a message out. All that's good. Keep doing it. But in the end, like what is a church if it doesn't have the Holy Spirit? What's a church if it's not the Holy Spirit that's driving them? So if nothing else, man, I just want to tell you so many stories about this. You know, I got a brick in my house. I got to tell you this, like, you know we're not going to finish the text, so and you're, are y'all okay with that? <laughs> like, is there anybody that's like really OCD in here and it's like, if we don't finish the text, you know. <laughs> like, if you're OCD, you don't belong to experienced church. I'm just telling you, like, you picked the wrong church for that. Uh, okay, so like, I don't know when it was. A little year or so ago, I was in southern, I was in um, Los Angeles, and I decided I was going to go see the uh, Bonnie Bray House. So Bonnie Bray House... Like in the early 1900s, the Azusa Street Revival broke out. Today, there are more than half a billion Charismatics and Pentecostals who sort of experienced that revival from Azusa Street, which is a street in almost downtown Los Angeles. Uh, I think the revival was like 1906 or something like 1907, something like that. Anyway, so they've got this guy. His name is William Seymour. So William Seymour is an African-American man. He's invited to come preach at a house on Bonnie Bray Street in Los Angeles. So you're almost downtown Los Angeles. I mention his race because he's living in a day where he was really mistreated because of his race. I mean, I'm not saying it's over with, but I'm saying it was a lot worse back then. 
Like, he wasn't even allowed to go to seminary because he was black. Just a little sidebar, by the way. Do you know in the Church of Christ universities, Lipscomb, Harding, Fried Hardman, all that, it was not until the 1960s that African Americans were allowed into our schools. Like, yeah, okay, so that's the world that our African American brothers and sisters, that's the world they're still living in. I mean, you guys who are here, so like, just pardon me for throwing that out there. I hope I'm not saying it in a, like a way that's hurtful to you, but I just make sure we whites get that. Like, we whites need to get that. It's not ancient history. We're not talking ancient history here. So the very Sunday that guys were getting up in these schools and talking about some doctrine about music or whatever, they were telling their black brothers and sisters, you're not welcome here. The very Sunday. So anywho, this guy shows up at Bonnie Brain. African-American, he wasn't allowed to get much of an education. He's got like 12 women, him and like 12 women. And they're just praying, Lord, send the Holy Spirit. Now, I mention that because, like, this is the most motley crew you can pick in 1906. Who else? I mean, think about this. I've been to the house. I went out of the house. Um, and you have to call. You get a codophone when you call. Not voicemail. A codophone. Like, you can hear it turn on. Like the codophone. Y'all even know what a codophone is? Well, call the Bonnie Bray house, and you'll know what one is. You get a voice on there. Hello, you've reached the Bonnie Bray house. If you want to see it, call me, and I'll come show it. Anyway, I couldn't get the guy. So, I show up. Okay, they're praying, 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 and all of a sudden, like, they, this whole revival breaks out. This amazing revival breaks out. They move it down to Azusa Street to an old warehouse. And from the Azusa Street warehouse, eventually, like, hundreds of fellowships are formed. Today, half a billion, the largest Christian movement in history, sprung out of that motley, unlikely crew of people who just said, come Holy Spirit. So here's why I'm telling you the story. First of all, I'm going to tell you that because I'm just saying, if we just pray, there's no telling what God will do. The other thing is I'm there and they're working on the, the, like the sidewalk going into the house. These workers are there and they're pulling out bricks and all from like way, 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 way back. And I asked them, what are you doing with these bricks? And they like, well, we're, just, we're done with them. We're throwing them away. So I asked if I could have one. I got a brick from the Bonnie Bray house at my house right now. And so I should have brought it so you could like touch it. It's pretty cool to have it. I don't know why. That was like a waste of time. We're already running out of time. But it's just so cool to think this is what happens when you say, Lord, Send your Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, the Acts 2 church was a shock in all church because here's the way it's put here. Repent, be baptized, verse 38. Everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For, to who is this promise made? For the promise is to you, to your children, to all those who are far off, to everyone whom the Lord our God shall call. You get the promise of the Holy Spirit if you'll take him. Okay. They were sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this, the culminating point here. It's verse 36. So Peter preaches a sermon about Jesus because that's who it's about. It's, it's only about Jesus. Without Jesus, there's nothing. We don't have anything if it's not Jesus. I'm just telling you, like, we got a big, we got, a, we got like two gyms in our building, really. It's like one is a gym and it's a life center. You get that? Because you can't have a gym, but you can have a life center with, with, with basketball goals. And then we have like a, we have a teen hall that's also a gym, but it's like not a gym. It's called something else. But anyway, um, so we got, the, I'm just going to tell you, like the Y can do a better job on gyms than we can. You know, Gold's Gym is a better gym than our gym. We can do all of our ministries. Like we got a Meals on Wheels. We got every ministry you can imagine at North Boulevard. No kidding. We got a karate ministry. No, my church has a karate ministry, and we've actually trained, like, uh, kids coming out of detention center how to kill. Think about that a minute. 
Ah, anyway. Uh, we had a clogging ministry for a while. No kidding, clogging. Hey, run that through an acapella filter, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. Like, the world's a better clogger than my church is. The world's better karate than my church is. The only thing we really have to offer, the only thing we have to offer is Jesus Christ. That's what we've got. That's what we got. That's the only reason we exist. So I just want to say this. When Peter says this, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. What he's saying to us is this. Sin is the only problem we have, and Jesus is the only solution we have. You stay focused on that and, um, and see what God does with that. And when you lose your focus on that, you might be a great church, but you lose your focus on that, and the clock starts ticking on the day you're not here anymore because it's all about the gospel. That's all it's about. It's just about the gospel. All right, we're going to knock them out here. Repentant, baptized lives. All right, I just want to read this. So Peter preaches a sermon. By the way, he doesn't give him much wiggle room. He says, you crucified the Son of God. You did it. When they said, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Two things. Repentance is the opportunity to hit a reset button. Repentance is a great gift. Like, so in some of our traditions, our Christian traditions, we think of repentance as like it's when you crawl down an aisle at the end of a service and everybody's staring at you because you, you know, probably murdered people and all that. And when you come down, tears are streaming down your face. And so, hey, that's fine. That's repentance. If you want to do it that way, it's fine. I'm happy with that. You can do it right now, in fact. But let me tell you what repentance really means. Repentance means that every day you get to open a new chapter in your life. Every day you get to say, I'm not like that anymore. That's not me. Every day, you get to say, I'm starting all over again, afresh, clean, and pure in the eyes of my Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it means, and that's a gift. That's not a curse. It's not a burden. It's not, is it a burden to open a new chapter every day? Is that a burden? It's a gift. And baptism, there's a lot to say about baptism. I'll just say this. Think of baptism as like the wedding ceremony in your love life with Jesus. So, like, when you, when you fall in love with somebody, you know, you date forever how long, and then when you get ready, you go to the, bat, to the wedding service, and what the set, wedding service does is it says, from now on, you and me, we're together for life. And it's really beautiful because in a wedding ring, what you can do with a wedding ring is, like, a lot of us, you know, have these um, insecurities and so forth. You just think to yourself, okay, does she really love me? Dude, all you got to do is look down at that ring because it's just the reminder that she loves me so much that she swore before God that till death do us part, we're going to be together. In your baptism, God is swearing to you, till death do us part. So here's what you do. Next time the evil one whispers in your ear and says, you're not good enough, I know who you are, I know you're a fraud. Next time the evil one whispers in your ear, you point back to your baptism and you tell him he can go back to hell. You just tell him that. You tell him, hey, when I was baptized, Jesus Christ put his ring on my finger, and I don't have to listen to a word you're saying. I don't have to listen to a word you're saying. That's why it's such an awesome thing that God gives us. So when Peter says this, it's not like all these sad, grieving things of repent, repent, you know, crawl through broke glass and all that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, start a new chapter. Start a new chapter. And okay, last. Uh, wow, this is such, I got to read this text. It's so cool. 42, they devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. They were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number every day those who were being saved. So whatever else you want to say, these guys decided we are in this together for life. So I'll just give you this one little encouragement. What you guys do when you have your praise services, by the way, like half my staff comes on your Friday night praise services. Like half your, half your members are North Boulevard people. You knew that, did you? <laughs> and you know I've sent them here too, by the way. Like I have. I've told people you need to go. If you don't relate to us, come over here. This is it's like, you know, we're, we're really two campuses of the same church, kind of. <laughs> but here's the deal. When you have your praise services, that's what we're supposed to be doing. These guys were committed to prayer. They were committed to praise. And mostly they were committed to one another. They were committed to one another. So if you're dabbling, if you're dabbling in the faith, then like I'm urging you now, hurry up and get some clarity on this thing and jump in. Like, you can sit on the edge for a little while. I, I, I bet the experienced church will let you sit on the edge for a little while. Well, at North Boulevard, we tell people, you can hang on the edge for a little while. But, but dude, don't hang on the edge forever. Jump in. Make a commitment. Let's, let, we're not just church members. We're not just social justice warriors. We're not just nice people who like to go have a little cracker and a little tiny cup of wine or whatever it is over there. That's not who we are. We are revolutionaries for the kingdom of God who are bent on kicking down the gates of hell. That's who we are. And you need to join that movement because when you join that movement, God can do something awesome in his world through your life. So let's pray. Lord, that's what we ask you to do. We ask you to make us uh, revolutionaries for the cause of Christ. Push it all in the middle, Father, and jump. It's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.